This that tomahawk chop, pray our rivals flop. I, I bet they fear the spear after the final clock. We on the war path at the battle end. Heading for that top spot when the rank is dropped. Look around as you see him a product of dope. Florida State, Tagger era, you ready? Let's go. Chief Osceola coming through, riding renegade. Opponents running through that tunnel, be very afraid. Be very afraid. Unconquered our flame, bet they remember our name. This legacy reigns, it's no supreme. No gators or canes, a bunch of war daddies coming for more natties. Welcome to Tallahassee, aka the title town. And you know we run the state and giving up the crown. It's not your time right now. Yes, that was intro music. Uh, we're doing big boy things here at the Knowles 24 7 podcast. Uh, this is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Chris Nee. And, and that music you heard was uh, Lethal Simplicity by Tarif Knockout. And maybe something you guys have heard before uh, if you're on, on the Twitter or, or whatnot, and you'll hearing it during ESPN's uh, broadcast of FSU versus Virginia Tech on Monday. So a, a special thank you to uh, Turi for allowing us to to sample his music and use that as intro for this episode. And we'll uh, we'll link some stuff, uh, some of uh, his other other work and uh, some social media that that he does. Uh, so that way you guys can go ahead and check it out for yourselves. But again, thank you for the music and uh, hopefully you know spice things up a little bit. Do you like that, Chris? You're just you're. You're drinking your iced latte right now and not paying attention. All one gallon of it. (laughs) I enjoy it. It's good times. Um, So what we have for the podcast today, guys, it's going to be pretty straightforward. I don't think it's going to be more than about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, A starting quarterback was named since the last time uh, Chris and I were here doing a podcast for you guys, DeAndre Francois. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast pretty regularly, you, you know we've kind of thought that was how this would turn out. So not not shocking, but a little bit more context before we kind of put put a ribbon on that. So uh, we'll talk about that. We'll go over the depth chart, which was released. Everyone freak out! Ah! Names on paper. <laughs> we'll, we'll give some context to that, uh, things that maybe surprise Chris and myself, things that, that make sense, things that don't. So we'll do that, and then we'll kind of finish off by a little bit of Virginia Tech talk. Uh, this will essentially be our preview podcast because we want to focus more on the FSU side of things leading up to it. So Let's go. Uh, DeAndre Francois, Chris, named starting quarterback. This was something that you thought was likely since probably the end of the summer. I think we both kind of had the idea that, that he was still on campus. This this was going to happen. Yeah, I remember us uh, having a pod. I don't remember exactly when, but during the summer months. And essentially, we talked a little bit about football. And one of the topics was, what has changed for you? Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of talked about how we gravitate away from our belief that it wouldn't be DeAndre, too. It almost you know seems like it's going to be. Maturity off the field has helped him. Um, he's bought in, which is important. He's been a good teammate. He's been good with the head coach. He's been good with the position coach. You know, he's done the things they asked for in that. And physical ability takes over on the field. He's the most talented of those three guys. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that can do the most in this offense. I think that was kind of – you mentioned the physical ability. What DeAndre had to do – and this may be rehashing it some, but he had to, he had to be more mature. Uh, he had to grow up a little bit. We're not talking about a complete – philosophical like shift in who you are as a person because that doesn't happen in in six months but just enough to allow that physical skills to be weighed uh, equally to, to the others to where you weren't you weren't afraid of him doing a knucklehead thing anymore prove that you can be trusted yeah exactly and that's that's what he did uh within this offense i think okay from what we know i'm trying to try to unwrap this so 
know, the Gulf Coast offense, you don't have to be Quentin Flowers for it to work. We no. saw that last year with Oregon, that, that Willie didn't have a scrambling quarterback in Justin Herbert, and, and the offense was really good when he was there, and he was out for half the season with a shoulder injury. But uh, you need to be athletic and be able to move around some. Uh, DeAndre does that. We've seen that. Remember, was it against Ole Miss in, this, in his first uh, game? That was his debut. Had a couple of plays where he took off and ran, and you see the athleticism uh, that they try to move him in the pocket a little bit under Jimbo uh, back in 2016. So, so we did see that he has a little bit of that to his game. I think more importantly, though, Chris, that from talking to Walt Bell today, uh, DeAndre can push the ball downfield. He has a heck of an arm. Some people have questioned his deep passing accuracy before. I think it's fine. I think it's it's certainly above average, and that was him as a redshirt freshman. You expect that to be better. Uh, the other thing that I think they liked, and both Willie and Walt Bell mentioned it, is is he takes care of the football, and and he he has the lasting memory is that Alabama game in which he didn't, but that uh, was kind of a lot of things kind of unraveling there. So I think those are the two things that they really like about DeAndre, and that's what separated him in, in camp. Yep, he he can be the engine that helps his offense go from a passing attack standpoint. Mm-hmm. His offense will be run first. I think we both believe that. This offense will be run first. I think we both believe that. But, uh, you know, with DeAndre, it's just the ability. Can you get a quick pass out? Can you go vertical when they need to stretch? Can you make a variety of different throws that allow a skilled players on the outside to be skilled on the outside? Mm-hmm. It's about getting delivering the ball. That's all it's about. It's not about everything's going to go through you. It's about can you deliver the ball in space and put us in a position to make plays with what they want to do, bubble screens, Jet sweep handoffs, handling that, keeping the ball when he has to keep it, going vertical when they have to go vertical. Can he check those boxes? I think he did that consistently in the preseason. And I think Walt Bell described it as, as not making quote-unquote catastrophic uh, mistakes. Yeah. Uh, it's something that DeAndre has done well. He's not made those uh, mistakes regularly in practice. And that doesn't mean the other two guys were doing that often, but but DeAndre was safer with the, with the football. Um, and, and I think the one – knock maybe other than the deep accuracy that we heard with DeAndre a lot and I think was somewhat fair was the processing I think it took him a little bit too long sometimes and you saw him just get beat up in the pocket because he would wait and wait and wait instead of anticipating the throw that's not doesn't have to that's not as much in this offense like you said Chris you're just making a quick snap decision so I think if you're looking at the total package like a lot of there's a lot that plays to DeAndre Francois' strengths and Willie Taggart's offense organically, and they're going to cater things. Both both Willie and Walt Bell will cater to DeAndre Francois' strengths. So to me, this was a sensible move. This this seemed like the obvious choice yeah. uh, late in the summer, and then once we saw DeAndre throwing the football the first day of preseason camp, I said, okay, that's that's it. This is a wrap. Like He, he physically looks apart. The ball's come out of his hand better than it ever has. Uh, it, yeah, this, this made sense all along, I think, right? Yeah, and the one thing he had to show is that he could master the offense, and today we heard him say that over the last month that's probably where he's made the biggest gains. And then Walt Bell in a separate interview talked about how he's done a very good job of learning and mastering the offense. So, you know, once the mental ability caught up to the physical ability and it meshed well, it was pretty clear that he was the best guy for the job. All right, so let's transition to the depth chart. We're just going to kind of go down. We have the depth charts in front of us. Go down the the list and and one verbalize it for you guys so who haven't actually physically seen it, uh, so you can hear it and then uh, give you our thoughts on it. But let's start with the quarterbacks: DeAndre Francois, the starter, uh, the or. Oh my God, there's a lot of ors on this. Mm-hmm. Um, James Blackman and Bailey Hockman or and, and or for people who don't know basically means or <laughs> could be this guy or this guy. There's nine ors on the entire depth chart. 
most of them at wide receiver. Yeah, and wide receiver <laughs> basically is brought uh, to you by war. But I, I, you know, I don't admittedly have a great feel for, let's say, if if DeAndre has another injury or something to where if they who the number two is. Um, I I think James Blackman can really benefit from having this year to one physically get a little bit bigger. I think that's only going to happen so much given his frame. But two, being able to kind of see the game from a different perspective. I think that'll help him a lot, work on his mechanics some because it's sporadic sometimes when he gets rid of the football. Uh, so pardon me. And I heard that Bailey Hockman really pushed at the end of of, of camp. Not enough to obviously on, on seat DeAndre Francois. I think DeAndre at the last week and a half was still the better quarterback. But Bailey Hockman made the – I think the staff feels really comfortable with him. So I'm curious to see who the first guy off the bench is. I know guys will be disappointed that they didn't win a starting job, but in James Blackman's case, I almost think it's good for him to get this year. Yeah, I do He's too. going to have the year he should have had last year, which is get stronger, dedicate yourself off the field in the sense of getting bigger, stronger, faster. Not that he doesn't do a good job with that stuff, but being able to just yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it also allows them to kind of, you know, sit back and learn. There's something to watching the game of football at the collegiate level that matters to guys. It, it One, it teaches them to be hungrier about it. And, two, it allows them to kind of let it all slow down and mentally they're able to catch up instead of, you know, the bullets flying at them like it was last year. He's basically living life in reverse order. Last year is probably what he would have hoped this year would have been in the yeah. sense of playing. And last year should have been the year he sat and kind of took it in and was able to grow. And I think it's a good thing. He might not believe that in the short term, but I think long term he'll realize that there's a lot of positives. Plus, he understands what it means to be ready in case something happens. Mm-hmm. He's lived that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's kind of the that's just kind of the dynamic that makes it a little strange, just because he he did have last season, and that should have been a season where he didn't have to to play as much as he did. And and then you're the guy, now you're not the guy. So how do you how do you handle that? And everything he said so far has been you know pretty spot on. He said it at media day. He was asked, like, what would happen if he didn't win the job? And he talked about supporting DeAndre Francois. One, I think it was easy, interesting at that time that he had said DeAndre was the guy he'd be supporting. I think the guys kind of knew at that point. And, and there was hints that were dropped. Uh, some people read into Willie Taggart's comments saying that, you know, DeAndre was further behind in learning the offense. Not, <laughs> obviously, he didn't pick up the whole offense in a week. So uh, there, there were signs that DeAndre was the guy for a while. But, yeah, I, I think – it's going to be interesting to see who, who is the number two guy, and I think because James could benefit from a quote-unquote redshirt year, uh, Bailey Hawkman's already had that, so I, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if it were Bailey. If if you had a few plays or something like that or a series, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bailey got the reps there. Uh, running back, they really like the running backs, Chris. You know why? Because they're really damn good. Well, they're, they're, that's, <laughs> there's a reason to like them, but, but in terms of reading into the depth chart here as much as we can, they have five of them listed. Yeah. No oars. It's Cam Akers, Jock West Patrick, Kalen LeBourne, Amir Rasul, and Anthony Grant, and that order. God, I'm going to have to read a lot of names in the next, like, 20 minutes, huh? You guys enjoy that. It's going to be a lot of butchering. Um, yeah, I mean, you got Akers, who everybody knows is a stud. Patrick's a king of consistency. LeBourne's going to be the breakout star of that group this year, in my opinion. Rasul, great straight-ahead speed, can do a lot of things, versatile. And then Anthony Grant's been one of those guys, like a Keyshawn Helton, Trayshawn Harrison, Jaden Woodby, one of those freshmen that – it's constant. You just mm-hmm. hear nothing but praise for what he can do. I was told in the scrimmage, I believe his first touch, he, I think he took for like 25. I think he had another one that he housed for even longer. So he's a guy that just keeps making plays when he gets touches. He's not going to get a lot of them because there's five guys to spread the ball out around, but he is fully capable at 5'11", 190. He's a guy that, you know, 
can be an instant impact at a position where they don't need that. It, and I think maybe we talked about in the last podcast. I can't recall. Uh, <coughs> but he was working with the, spe- the first team punt coverage unit, so mm-hmm. that means he's going to likely play. Yeah, he's also second team for kick returns. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he's yeah. he's someone that they are considering as as who's going to make an impact of some sort or another. Yeah, I mean the, the running backs are really good. We knew that going into the preseason. I think everything's been kind of validated. Uh, does Cam Akers take the jump from good to great? Does Jock West Patrick continue to be consistent? Is Kalen LeBorn capable of being as dynamic at times as we've heard and, and seen? And then you find a way to get Amir Rasul the ball in space because we've seen that, like, in the null drills. It's actually a lot of fun. Like, when he gets when he gets a crease, uh, he can be dangerous. And then, yeah, there's a lot with Anthony Grant. So this is a good group, and it could be a really fun group and maybe even uh, an elite group by the end of the season. It's much easier to believe something when you see it. I think people will understand that the running backs are a very non-traditional sense running backs in this offense. Mm-hmm. There's going to be instances where you may have two, three backs out there at a time, and it's not all of them in the backfield. You know, it's them in stack formations on the outside as receivers coming across on jet sweeps. A lot of different ways to use them, and mm-hmm. I think you're going to see that in this offense. That's that's a stable of talented players that they're going to lean on. Do you think they can use all five? Bear with <laughs> me here. All five at one time. We're not busting out the wing tee. <laughs> all right, wide receiver. This is the one I think that a lot of people. The land uh, of or. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to make an or pun, but I couldn't. I'm really hungover right now, too, and <laughs> we're pushing through it. Uh, we said goodbye to Safadine. He, he's moving on from the Orlando Sentinel to the Sun Sentinel. Go cover the Miami Dolphins. Uh, probably only like 20% of you guys listening care about that, but yeah, that, that's why I'm a little sloppier than usual today. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, we're not pretending this is excellence. Uh, this is just worse than usual. Keith Gavin and Warren Thompson are listed as the, I guess, the outside wide receiver. That's the only, you know, for the rest that we're going to read off here, those are the only guys who have a clear pecking order of one, one two. two. So this is now the slot receivers. Nyquan Murray or, I must did Nyquan Murray because of the or. Nyquan Murray or DJ Matthews or Kayshawn Helton. And the other outside wide receiver, Ontario Wilson, if you guys listen, kind of mentioned him as someone who was, who was coming on in the past week, or Treshawn Harrison, or Tamarian Terry, and those are, that's the other outside uh, combination there. Um, and since the depth chart came out, the two things we've heard the most of is, one, I'm surprised Terry's not more established. I think the thing there is consistency. Truthfully, I think the reason you see Wilson's name first in that or situation over Terry, who's third and Harrison's in the middle, is plain and simple consistency. Mm-hmm. Wilson does better rep to rep, but Terry's good is great. Yeah. Like Terry's ceiling is the highest of maybe anybody at that position. They need an outside receiver to emerge as a consistent force. Mm-hmm. Whether it's one, two, or three of them, they need somebody like a Keith Gavin, a Warren Thompson, a Tamorian Terry to emerge as a true outside big receiver. Trayshawn Harrison's more of a, not, I don't want to use the word gimmick, but more of a guy that you use in a multitude of ways. He's not your traditional go up and get a big outside receiver. Mm-hmm. He's almost like a slot and can play outside. Yeah, because he's, what, 6'2", 179, yeah. but that, he still has to... He's cat quick, really yeah. smooth. He's a jet sweep kind of guy. He's a motion kind of guy. He's a quick pass, bubble, go kind of guy. Mm-hmm. That's how he's used. They need that big outside guy who can be the mismatch when they have to go to that part of an offensive attack. Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, where's George Campbell? Yeah. Truthfully, I think George just isn't on there because George is a guy that they've worked back in slowly but surely. He is healthy. He is practicing. He's been praised for actually what he's brought to practice as far as being a good leader and you know knowing what to do. 
But there's things about George's game that still have to round out that because he hasn't really played a whole heck of a lot two years. I think he played four games in the last two years. Mm-hmm. It's just not there right now. So, like, I wouldn't read so far into the depth chart that the fact he's not on there means he's never going to play. I don't think that's the case. I just think the at-bats may be limited. Yeah, that that makes sense with with George. I don't think there's anything to worry about at this point. Um, and you mentioned at-bats, and, and that when it comes down to consistency – so the way this offense works, I wrote a little bit about it. You know, you think spread, you think they're going to be just chucking the ball all over the field. What did you just drop? <laughs> Jesus. Table's, you, you, fall, table's falling apart over uh, here. Everything's falling apart. Um, Facilities aren't what they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I know what Jimbo was talking about all these years. Uh, there aren't going to be a ton of at-bats for the wide receivers because this is going to be such a run-heavy offense. So I think we're assuming it's going to be about 60 65% run. Uh, now they're going to run a lot of plays, but they're also going to try to hit big plays. So, again, there may not be a ton of plays run, as many as we think. Uh, it's going to be more about dictating tempo from – stop trying to mess with it, man. Just leave it I'm alone. It. Okay. So, so, but what I'm trying to get at here, and I'll stop talking in the next 10 seconds, is you want to get the guy to football who you, you – stop counting me down – who you want to trust to actually catch it when you get it to him. That's why you see a guy like Ontario Wilson who's in the right spot uh, because he's not going to get a lot of, of, of reps in that sense. Kurt's coming in very quietly. Hi, we're recording at FSU, and people are trying to be quiet. Thank you. Very appreciated. Remember when I was trying to be professional with this podcast? Today's just not your day. It's not, you're, it's not you're happening. You're bringing about your C game right now, <laughs> not your A game. It's good, though. I mean, it's, it's a weird week. It is a weird week. All right, so wide receivers, I, I don't think there's a whole lot else to really no, I, I think that. wide receivers are going to reestablish depth chart by what they do in a game set. Yeah, but the, in the or. What all those mean to me, and, and with that in mind, Chris, is, is that they're all going to play. Yeah, they're going to use them yeah. early, often, and a lot, and in different ways. Different guys need to play different roles. What I was getting back to being with the 10-second countdown thing is you have to <laughs> – they want the guy who they can trust because there are not going to be a lot of opportunities for those outside receivers. I think you're going to take a couple deep shots, but really they need to be really good blockers because you're going to do a lot of screens. Yep. Uh you need someone who you're going to be able to trust you're, with you're the limited see, amount of throws they're going to have. You're going to see some trip formation stuff. You're going to see some stack formation stuff. You're going to see multiple guys on the outside. And, you know, there's roles to play. It's not that it's option one, option two for a passing play. It's we're going to the underneath guy, and the guy on top needs to do his job and block downfield. So you need to see consistency from what those guys are bringing you with regards to when they don't have the ball in their hands. It is worth noting, and then we'll move on, Keith Gavin is someone who's received praise, so him standing there as the true number one. We've kind of seen... we've kind of seen some hints the last week or two that, that he's been coming on stronger. Yeah. Um, it's and that's worth noting. First week of camp, I, I think we commented that he almost was non-existent. He I was. I don't really remember seeing yeah. him. But since that point, yeah, there's been a good amount of praise heaped on him. Yeah, and that's still kind of a wait and see. I understand why people are skeptical because it's been two years at this point. Obviously, first year, um, freshmen don't play. Previous regime, last year he was injured on and off. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe the lights kind of turned on and this is – He's a junior now. Got to start making making money moves, as the kids would say, right? right. Next up is a good old-fashioned offensive line. We've talked plenty about that. Left to right, it's Jawan Williams, Derek Kelly, Alec Everly, Cole Minshew, or Mike Arnold. That's a right, right guard. guard. Yep. And Landon Dickerson. In the first game, I think we're going to see Arnold at that position. Minshew's been banged up with the ankle. I'm just not convinced he's out there. And if he is, he might be limited. Arnold's been working first team most of this week. Second team, it gets pretty thin pretty quick. Woo. From left to right, Abdul Bello, Arthur Williams, Babyon Johnson, Mike Arnold, or Cole Minshew. 
and Brady's gone at right tackle. It's uh, it's not an ideal. Uh, I had someone within the program ask once, like, how did it come to this with this offensive line? Like, they, and that's not that sentiment's been shared to both of us by multiple people yeah. that they don't understand how it got this bad this quickly. Like, that's what was inherited. The lack of tackle bodies who are here who are capable is almost mind blowing. Yeah. You have the freshmen now come in, they're confident, you know, a guy like Jalen Goss being capable, and I think Christian Armstrong's going to have a role on the offensive line, mm-hmm. not necessarily at tackle, but in some form or fashion. But, it, I mean, it's just it's not very good. Abdul Bello and Brady Scott are going to be their offensive tackles right now. Yeah, I'm not convinced either of them would be the next tackle up. I think Derek Kelly gets kicked outside if need be. I do too. And they go from the inside because they're more trusting of an Arthur Williams, Mike Arnold, Colt Minshew, mm-hmm. or Avion. And that's in, and when you start get talking about the depth of this line, the lack of tackle bodies is disturbing. But even then, you so if you kick Derek Kelly out, let's say that were to happen, then Arthur Williams is your guy. Yeah, and Arthur's actually tackle. looked good at some. He's just yeah. literally converted to offensive tackle from defensive tackle as a fifth year senior. What like a month and a half ago? Yeah. That I think. Let's move on. That's the offensive line. We've, it needs we to, beat that to death this preseason. It needs to stay healthy. Yeah, first group solid, second group uh, falls off a cliff pretty quick. Tight end, people freaked out because Nazir Upshur was the number four tight end. I got. I don't think it matters a ton. Trey McKitty's one, Gabe Neighbors two, Jonathan Vickers three, uh, Upshur four. Uh, Alexander Marshall isn't listed. We've heard he's had a nice camp. But man, it's Trey McKitty's job, and he's, yeah. he's the one who fits in this offense the best. The other guys are going to be more situational if they want to go smash mouth and, and try to you know, pick up third and short or something, yeah. get them in the field. Or on the field, McKitty's your McKitty's your tight end. Yep. All right, we we move on. Feel good about that one. Good for me. All right, defense. Uh, defensive end. This is going to be the the flash defensive ends. I didn't say that. But this is Brian Burns and Joshua Kando. Those are the the faster uh, field side guys. Uh, defensive tackle: Demarcus Christmas and Corey Durden. That's one two. Nose guard: Frederick Jones one. Marvin jo- Marvin Wilson two. Excuse me. Uh, defensive end. This is going to be the bigger. Uh, boundary DN, uh, Wally Ame, and Janarius Robinson. So, no surprises there at all, right? Yeah. Uh, we kind of. Mar- Marv looks good. He's healthy. He's ready to go. You know, what he did on Monday was a blast to watch in person. For, for people who didn't see it, give him a little. Set a, set a scene for us. They were Chris. doing the Oklahoma Null drill. And, uh, <laughs> it's just the Oklahoma drill, you idiots. Whatever. It's, I had to it's convince a Null it. drill, that's an Oklahoma drill. Um, no, I had to convince the entire people. <laughs> no, you're bigger than me. Go on. Is that a fat joke? People, um, yes. Stop he, interrupting me. I forget who he threw, but he got his hands on somebody, got him inside, and just threw him down, and he loved every second of it. And it was just pure unbridled passion of playing a game of football. And it was fun to watch. Willie enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. Fired the defense up. Yeah, Marvin's a really talented guy who can change a game up front. He can wreak havoc on the interior of an opposing offensive line. I like the way Odell coaches, Odell Higgins coaches Marvin because Odell will get on you quickly and then tell you when you do a good job too. I've always yeah. liked that about Odell, but he doesn't get on Marv a whole lot when we yeah. watch. Um, it'll be like Marv get lower or something like that, but that's not a guy who usually has to go and redo a rep because Odell's big on that. If you screw up, you go back and do it again. Marvin doesn't really do second reps. Marv got himself in good shape, which mm-hmm. was important, but Marvin's always been a very good student of the game. Mm-hmm. He's a kid that enjoys playing a game of football. He takes it seriously. He yeah. treats it like a job that he enjoys too. Yeah, he, he does. He's a sharp guy. Um, so that's, you know, to see him in the two deep, I think that's encouraging because we've been under the belief that he was going to be available after dealing with the knee injury uh, from the spring, but I'm convinced that he's going to play. I think Frederick Jones starting makes sense because you know exactly what he is. 
Uh, Marvin Wilson's a guy who I assume will be starting by the end of the year, though. They're always uh, going to rotate on the interior. Too. Exactly. He, if Odell has his way, he'd love to have six really good, capable bodies to rotate through there. Um, at defensive end, Joshua Kando, I think, is the most noteworthy of that because people, again, freaking out. Well, he said, was it on Wednesday? I'm calling him, I'm trying to say Monday. It was on Wednesday. We're yeah. all behind. Thursday's the new Tuesday for us this week with the fact that they're playing on a Monday, so everything's kind of thrown off in your head. But, yeah, he spoke about Kando, said he's going to be available. He's going to play. They've never gotten real specific, but he had an injury, I believe shoulder, that he got cleaned up, and they've just been precautionary with it. They don't want to get him hurt in practice. So he's kind of gone half speed most of the time we've been out there this preseason. But when it comes to under the lights, we expect him to play. Now how much he plays, that's to be determined. I am interested in seeing that personally. Kane Doe, more like Kane Do. All right, now it gets interesting. <laughs> we're going to go linebacker, we're going to go defensive backs. Uh, let's start with linebacker, though. So that's Sam. They've called it Sam. They called it money, guys. I don't know. I give up. Whatever whatever it is. <laughs> it's the it's a traditional outside linebacker spot. You have DeKalen Brooks. Or Adonis Thomas and then Emmett Rice. Uh, we'll get into that and, and unwrap that in a second. At Mike, Dontavious Jackson, Leonard Warner, that's status quo. Star, Jaden Woodby, and Calvin Bruton. Um, but I imagine like the Kalen Brooks can play there too. He was not on the depth chart. Brooks getting what looks to be the, the nod at that Sam linebacker position, I think is the most sensible. We've kind of tiptoed around that for the last week or two. We kept seeing, though, Adonis Thomas rep with the ones when we were there at practice. Uh, this is a good reminder that just what we see in that 20 to 30-minute window isn't always what plays out in, in a full practice. We knew FSU was cross-training Brooks to play both Star and Sam. Uh, it looks like if they want to get their three best linebackers out there, this makes the most sense. Would be Brooks and Dontavious Jackson. Another thing to keep in mind with linebackers is there's a potential of playing around them and just you know only running two out there. You're, you're on that uh, well, I'm you're entirely on that, on that bandwagon because at that position you have five guys that I think you can trust, maybe only four right now because Emmett Rice is still somewhat working himself back into the fold. So, you know, if you have much better guys in the secondary who can do some of the jobs of what you weren't linebackers do, I don't know that you need to just run them out there say you're running out of Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I do think uh, when we'll get to it, Stanford Samuel's availability kind of – impacts what you can do with moving other safeties around um Emmett Rice is kind of the wild card of that linebacker group mainly because I think they they think he's someone who can be an impact player eventually but the knee just isn't 100 percent you see flashes where he looks comfortable and then other days where he's kind of limping around that's to be expected what did he have the ACL injury in December the bowl game he missed Shreveport <laughs> not in the least <laughs> uh, Leonard Warner is someone you know I paid close attention to him when they were doing the uh the Oklahoma drills and the other day and he just doesn't bring the oomph that I think consistently that they want there's times where they do like him um but he's just not consistent enough and I think maybe that's why we haven't seen him push for that Sam role um also he is kind of a Mike by trade is it just his body type yeah I just yeah. think he's a true natural inside guy I think they just need to I know they're searching for answers at yeah. Sam but I don't know that you take a guy who's a very good second-team Mike right now and you move him. I mean, to start. I it works. I mean, no. I think that's why DeKalen was moved is because you know he can play either of those two spots, mm-hmm. but you know you have Woodby at stars. So is that a linebacker or safety? I, I did that for you because I know I know I know, you, I, I know you did. Um, I know you did. Uh, but I think that's why you see DeKalen getting work over there. DeKalen's willing to stick his nose in there and hit mm-hmm. somebody and be physical. And that's why he's in that situation above the other guy in the or. Mm-hmm. Because he's willing to do that. Well, the other guy is somewhat questionable if Adonis Thomas will do that. And 
there's going to be times, I think, when DeKalen can be exploited with his size. You know, if he gets one-on-one out with a, either a bigger running back coming out, most guys are going to be bigger than him. That's the, the truth of it. Uh, so there's going to be things that he gives up, but because he's physical, because he understands, he processes well, um, it's not an ideal situation. But I think you're looking for him to be, you know, if we're going with the PFF grades, if he's in the 70s, like, you're okay with that. If he's in the average range at this point, you're okay with that. You need Dontavious Jackson to be really good. It uh, looks like he's for sure going to play after dealing with the tailbone, and I think you need Jaden Woodby to, to be an impact player pretty early on. That's a lot to ask for a true freshman, but uh, he keeps earning the trust of the staff. There's no magic Band-Aid on this roster for fixing linebacker. Yeah. It's one of those things they're going to have to do through recruiting. Yep, yeah, it's a, that's, that's a year or two that fix. being such a major focus in recruiting. In recruiting, correct. Um, do you like my Kobe Dean crystal ball? <laughs> I, don't, I don't pay attention to your crystal balls ever since that. You know, Nick Cross episode. That's not looking quite as bad now, is it? I digress. Okay. Defensive backs. <laughs> Let's go cornerback. Uh, Levante Taylor and Asante Samuel. Field safety, Stanford Samuels or Hampson Azraline. Interesting. Strong safety, A.J. Westbrook or Cyrus Fagan. Interesting. Uh, Kyle Myers and Isaiah Bolden. No A.J. Litton on that too deep. Um, that was one of the bigger surprises to that, both of us. Correct. I still think he plays. You mentioned nickel for him. My running theory is that this is a 4-3 depth chart, not the nickel depth chart. I yeah, wonder if he's... Definitely think he can play a role there. Yeah. And on the or with Stanford and Hampson, I believe that has to do a lot with Stanford being banged up. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't practiced a whole heck of a lot this week. We saw him out there today running around a bit, but he wasn't taking contact. So I think that's a, you know, we'll see. This is game one depth chart. It's not season depth chart. Yeah. So... Correct. Yeah. You know, right now, I think Nas would probably be your starter there. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how Stanford responds over the next, what, 72 hours or so. Yeah, there's still a little bit of time. Uh, and he's been working his way back. And, and I think the encouraging thing right now is he looks like a guy who, I, I don't know how many, I don't know physically what he could give you, um, but it looks like it's not going to be an elongated period right. of time that he's out. You're talking about and maybe if it's not this week and a week or two after that we're, against Syracuse or something. We're basically two weeks into the injury for him. Yeah. And the original timetable was being thrown out. We're more like four to six. Yeah. So he's definitely on the lower end of the two to four mm-hmm. I am surprised, though. Well, there's a few things. At, again, names on paper, like, this can all change so quickly. Uh, but Hamsa being the field safety is a little surprising, just basically what they need that. Now, he does have the length for it, but I'm surprised that that's not Cyrus Fagan. Yeah. Very, very surprised. Now, Cyrus is your second team strong behind A.J. Westbrook, and I think this is similar to the Kalen Brooks situation with mm-hmm. Sam and Starr. You only have them listed at one position. They mm-hmm. then double list guys on defense. So, like, Kalen's only at Sam. He's not at Sam and Star. Mm-hmm. And Cyrus is only at uh, strong safety and not field as well. So, I think it's a situation where he technically is either safety spot. It would not shock me to see Cyrus Fagan playing field safety on Monday night. No. I, would, I mean, wouldn't shock you if any of those guys at this point because AJ right. can probably do that a little All bit. All four He's kind of interchangeable in those yeah. spots, even though Stanford is really more set at field. Yeah. He is there for that role, for the Zeus role. And that's the Zeus is the most important role in the defense, and he's we don't know if he's going to play. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic as we look at Virginia Tech. And, oh, man, I, it, that would have been a great transition if we didn't have to go for special teams. I hey, been, special teams are people too. Let's call Bob Ferrante <laughs> in real quick. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, God, I dropped my pen. Uh, place right. kicker Ricky Aguayo, Logan T- Tyler, nothing big there. Logan Tyler is also the holder. Uh, with Tommy Martin as the backup holder, long snapper. That's a good one. Uh, Ken Burnham, Burnham uh, over Grant Glennon, because yep. Grant was considered one of the best uh, long snappers in the country, right? Yeah. 
Ken's um, a redshirt senior, so he's getting to do it in his last year here. That's neat. Uh, kickoff, Logan Tyler, backup Ricky Aguayo, getting nothing big. Uh, punter, Logan Tyler, Tommy Martin. Now here's where it gets a little interesting. Punt returner, DJ Matthews. And then the number two is a or with Kayshawn Helton or Nyquan Murray. So DJ has looked to solidify himself as the number one punt returner as long as that back's fine, which it looks like it is. He said today it was. Oh. And he's truthfully said at media day, you know, 10 days ago now that he, he was 100%. He was yeah. good to go. So I don't think the back's a major issue. What was DK's comment earlier? This preseason receivers love to say they're hurt till they have to play a game. Until they all find a way to be hurt during the preseason, yeah, then they're I'm sure all DJ healthy. dealt with a back issue, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not saying that he, uh, you know, couldn't have made it through if he had. What, to. what are you implying? Um, hey, that's cool. You got your best, uh, your most dynamic that's athlete. That should be returning punts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it should have been last year. It was. Yeah. It just took a really long time yeah. to get there. <laughs> Kickoff return. Amir Rasul and Keith Gavin are the ones. Anthony Grant and Kalen LeBourne are the twos. People are freaking out over Keith Gavin. I love it. It cracks me up watching it the, the Alabama game really did some things to this program and to the, the fan base, too. Like, I get it. He's not natural. And there, there are a lot of guys on this roster who can do that job. Yeah. So I am a little surprised he's the one they're going with. Mm-hmm. But it does humor me to some degree that it... Like, it's hand-wrenching for people. It drives them berserk. Uh, I mean, they just lived through the Tavares McFadden thing last year. I do think that this staff has shown if they need to make a decision quickly, they will do so Oh, they'll, quickly. they'll pull that chain. Yeah, yeah. So uh, here's the upside is, you know, if Keith Gavin's like you're well, not up back, but if he's the guy who's primarily blocking on kickoff returns, like that's what you have him in there for. He's a little bit bigger and more physical. Uh, then you have the speedy guy like Amir. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, and I, I think it's cool that Amir Rasul, like is going to get a chance to to do stuff in space. I think he did some kickoff return last year. I but am also interested to see this year in college football how much kickoffs are kind of, you know, watered down. Factored out, degree. yeah. No, I agree. So there may be a lot of people freaking out over nothing, which, you know, that's what that's what Chris and I traffic in. You're freaking <laughs> out pays my mortgage. We're so here to bring you guys back. Keep here. freaking we're, out. We're trying to help you out. Uh, One thing to add on kicker, Ricky said that he expects to handle all kicks. Yeah, even because he made, he said he made like a 56 57 yarder, I think okay. it was at IMG. Mm-hmm. So he feels confident in his leg strength and that he'll be the long field goal kicker. He lo- and physic- they're not going to split that job. He's lost weight. I think he's in good shape and he's feeling as confident as he has in a while. So he had a good season last year. He was like 18 to 21. So uh, yeah, feel good about the special teams because uh, there, there's certainly good stuff there. Um, Virginia Tech, you want to talk about that for a minute or two and then we'll. Uh, sure. We'll sign off. So Virginia Tech at 8 p.m. Willie Taggart is, what, 0-4 in his career as a coach and player against Justin Fuente, the head yep. coach at Virginia Tech. Yeah, they played each other. Back, uh, Willie was the quarterback at Western Kentucky. Fuente was at Murray State. That was actually an old rivalry game, apparently. Uh, you know, I kind of dropped the ball. I should have done a feature story on that, and it just got away from me with other things going on this week. But uh, Kurt, Kurt Weiler from the Democrats up in the front row and turned and shook his head because, yeah, journalism fail. Uh, but it's going to be a really interesting matchup, I think, for Florida State because Virginia Tech uh, has some talent issues right now with all the guys they lost on defense uh, th- this year, especially in the secondary. Uh, there's going to be a lot of question marks, but they also have one of the best defensive coordinators in the game, and Justin Fuentes, a really good coach, a really good offensive mind. Uh, so while there's talent deficiencies, and I think Florida State has the edge. Uh, this is going to fit into what we had talked about, I think, a week or so on the podcast is Florida State's coaches aren't going to go in thinking they're going to pencil whip the opponent they want their athletes to be allowed to be athletes who's going to be able to dictate terms of the the game can florida state's tempo really start to wear down a 
inexperience and, and presumably thin defense. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Florida State's athletes can kind of prevail versus a, a Virginia Tech program that, that's had a really rough offseason. Yeah, and to some degree with a first game, it's about who screws up less. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of young guys, a lot of guys inexperienced with snaps on the field for both teams. You know, who goes the wrong way, causing a turnover, who takes better care of the ball. Those are going to be big, big factors. DeAndre's a quarterback for a reason. Yeah, and FSU's running a different type of tempo offense, a different type of attack. Does the O-line handle it well in a game situation where they don't rack up penalties, Mm -hmm. causing them to play behind the chains? A lot of factors like that. So, you know, just straight talent between the two teams, FSU's a better-looking team on paper. Mm -hmm. Not a huge margin of difference, but there is a margin of difference. But you look at the experience factor, and who the heck knows? I mean, FSU's offense is this whole new thing they're rolling out there, but you know you have the running backs. That's like your feel safe. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, Virginia and Tech's Willie defense, knows he has the running backs, which is important, right? right? Like, he, right. He's, he'll ride or die with those guys. Virginia Tech's defense on the flip side, ultra inexperienced, missing one of their best front players, uh, you know, playing beside Ricky Walker in the middle there. Ricky Walker is going to be the main piece up front for them. Eddie Tackle, yeah. But how much help does he get where he's not getting just double teamed out of this game? Mm-hmm. And then I think they're very, you know, I think FSC is going to be able to go after their corners. Yeah. Relative, VTech recruits corners at a very high level, but the two guys that are rolling out there on Monday night were not the two guys that were playing on the roll out there six months ago. Mm-hmm. And that's a big factor. And, and even with that in mind, um, who's the kid that blew up his Achilles tendon? Um, he was a JUCO transfer, so even then they were, were going to be relying on a, on a transfer yeah. to be a plug-and-play guy, which is an ideal, and I think that speaks to the depth at the position. Uh, they have two good safeties, so it's not going to be complete. Like, you can just take advantage over the top, but uh, I think you can kind of dink and dunk your way to uh, to making them uncomfortable and then let your athletes kind of be superior. I think this game is going to be a – they're going to fill each other out a bit out mm-hmm. of the gate. Wouldn't shock me if somebody goes for a big swing early on, you know, trick play or – just something to kind of fool the opposing team. But in general, I think there's going to be a lot of, let's see how it works for a while, very slow. But when this game picks up tempo and gets going, I think FSU is better suited for being a quick strike offense compared to what VTech's falling out there on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, that, so I, was, I think people are going to probably want score predictions. Um, I'll tell you this. I think the game's going to play out, because of what Chris alluded to earlier, there's a ton of variables. Uh, a lot of unknowns on both sides. This is typically the case for the first week in college football because there's not a preseason game. That's kind of how that how that works. Um, but then you have a new coaching staff on one side, and then for Virginia Tech, you just have a ton of new players on defense. Um, so there's there's question marks. Uh, I will say that I think that Florida State. I'm thinking they're going to score and somewhere in the low 30s, I think, is probably a safe amount just with the amount of plays they're going to have and what Virginia Tech lost on defense and then the injuries it's had after losing the really good, you know, uh, who are the, the linebackers on defense? I'm trying to think that were drafted. For VTech? Yeah. The, brother. the brothers. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to think of their, their name. Tremaine. Tremaine. Edwards. Yeah. Right? Um, Edwards or Edmonds? Edmonds. Edmonds. It was Edmonds. Um, Buffalo Bills, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then the other brother was uh, like a safety linebacker type to the Steelers. I can't remember his name, though. But anyways, I digress. Um, you lose a lot there. So I, I think that Florida State's going to be able to score. And even though it's a, I mean, this is a top-10 defense last year for Virginia Tech, who knows what that is. So I think you're going to get yours if you're Florida State. 
Conversely, on the other side, Virginia Tech has a decent quarterback in Josh Jackson. He can He's a typical dual-threat guy. He's going to be able to do a lot of the RPO stuff that Virginia Tech does. How good are the well, weapons around him? Not, a that, lot of question marks there, too. There's no one dynamic. wide receiver. From Ball State. Is yeah. a kid that they feel very confident is going to be a big piece of what they do. But mm-hmm. beyond him, there's not like a guy I look at on their offensive side of the ball who's that dude Scares you. that can make big things happen, other well, than Jackson. Oh, course. and at the same time... Uh, we haven't gotten an indication in the two scrimmages for Florida State's defense. And granted, the first one was put in hard position. The second one, uh, it sounded like it finished well. But we haven't gotten a, any indication that this is a dominant defense yet. Now, right. Maybe that changes. Maybe it's hard to tell when you're judging in the in the vortex that is uh, preseason camp and good versus good. It's all the yeah. same and team. Also, scrimmages where you aren't running out necessarily your entire first. Exactly. Game. So there's Some key variables not there too for those bad starts for the defensive scrimmages. As I get to the like the as I try to think the score and as I've worked my way through it, it's like okay, I think the defense is going to give up some big plays. I think Virginia Tech. I don't think it's going to be a smothering shutout kind of game. So right. I'm going low 30s for Florida State, low 20s for Virginia Tech. I think Florida State pulls away in the second half. Uh, something like let's go 34 to to 24 or something like yeah, that for I, now. I think I threw out 30 20 earlier this week when discussing it. I'm kind of in the similar boat. I uh. I think there'll be, as I said, a slow start, both teams feeling each other out, and then I think there'll be a bit of an acceleration there. And, you know, late-game situations, you could go for the knockout punch as a leading team, and you go for the trying to keep yourself in this game as the opposing team. I don't envision either team playing particularly slow. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for there to be plays. As I wonder if Virginia Tech will try to, because they usually aren't. But Dredge it, it down? Yeah, a little, don't you don't think so. think so? Okay. One, I don't think they have the personnel to do that in the backfield. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can just line up and cloud up dust you to death. Because their offensive line has a lot of... Yeah, uh, the new left tackle being broken in, new center, and then the other three guys are very experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chung, who will work, I believe, left guard for them, is a really good player. He's moved around the O-line, done a lot of stuff for them. But the center is a big question mark, and the left tackle is kind of similar to Jawan Williams' situation. <laughs> um, so one thing, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end this here. You know that I'm not a big – I'm probably overly too much with trying to put context to things, uh, and, and I could probably be a little bit more hot takey sometime. That would probably be good. Um, so here's my attempt to do so. Florida State, if they lose, I would actually – be close to saying, okay, you, you should worry because this is a team that I think Florida State should beat. It's at home. You have all the juice from what the crowd's going to be at primetime at Doak, uh, and you have a Virginia Tech team that is really depleted. If you don't win that, then that's going to create, to me, a lot of uh, – raise a lot of, of, of alarms. And it's going to be concerning from the standpoint that uh, this should be your win. There's a lot harder teams on the schedule. Was there a, a mismanagement or something that Willie didn't predict correctly in the offseason when he was assembling the, the roster that he had and, and tailoring it to what he has? I think this is a game that Florida State should win. Uh, and if not, this is probably, if you don't win this, this is probably like the sixth or seventh best team on your schedule on paper. Um, so if you're losing this one, it's early and you have time to change things, but you could be looking at another season where that's six, seven wins. I'm mainly interested to see how FSU coaches run the deficiencies. Okay. How do they handle the O-line with the fact that, you know, <clears throat> they're probably going to be a very good run-blocking group, but they're going to have some issues in pass-blocking. How do they deal with Ricky Walker? You know, how does Juwan Williams ho- handle his first time under the lights? And then defensively, what do they do with the linebackers and the safeties, especially if Stanford's not able to go? 
how do they handle that and kind of make sure that they're not getting picked apart in the middle of the field? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's an area Josh Jackson can work quickly to. Mm-hmm. You get a team off balance with some quick stuff, fake the pass, tuck and go. Josh Jackson completely made to be that guy. You know, I'm interested to see how FSU gets after them. Yeah, it, there are deficiencies on this roster. I think this coaching staff has more or less understood that since they've gotten there. And they also know, though, and, and if you guys haven't read it, uh, Willie did a, play, a piece for the players' tribute. Yeah, and that was really cool to see. Uh, his a lot of it, I think, is stuff that he's talked about before. We've reported on before. This is just more in depth, and it's uh, in his voice, exactly, completely. which is neat. Um, but one thing I talked about was that they understood there's this is a talented roster. There's going to be deficiencies. Uh, there's going to be problematic parts to this team this season as we're close to entering the 2018 campaign. Um, but I do think there's a lot of talent on there. Now, how does he maximize it? Has he put them in a position uh, scheme-wise, philosophically, uh, even emotionally, which is a ton of what they talk about in the Players' Tribune, getting those guys to kind of buy into each other and themselves and, and building confidence? Those are all the variables that uh, we don't know yet. But they, they really need a game. They need to play a game because this offseason has been so much about changing the way they go about their business, mm-hmm. the way they do things, the way they are as a team. They now need that moment of, 85 guys on a field doing it together. Yeah. Dealing with the obstacles that come with a football game, enjoying the good moments, kind of taking that all in. They need those 60 minutes. Can you just go and, and whip the ass from the, the guy across from you? Yeah. That's kind of – it's time. Yeah. It's time. So. In practice, when you screw up, you just move on to the next play in practice. In the mm-hmm. game, when you screw up, it can lose you a game. There's something to that kind of pressure that you just can't create in any other setting outside of a football game. And that's part of why I think this game is so important is you've built up so much goodwill. It would be a damn shame to yeah. to take a step back after that first game and start second-guessing yourself. And uh, and then conversely, uh, you, you build up goodwill and, and then you're able to see that, that product. It's, it's a tone setter. They, yep. they refer to it at the ACC kickoff that way. Willie's referred to it that way in post-comments since that time. It is certainly a tone setter for them as a program, as a team, and as a 2018 Florida State Seminoles. Litmus test Monday. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks to Tarif Knockout for uh, lending, lending us the uh, you know, ability to, to sample Lethal Simplicity again. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll put a full link to the video so you guys can listen to it. We'll give you a link to his website as well. I uh, want to do him a solid for, for being cool and, and sharing what, what's a really fun song and the song they, they play at practice. So... Uh, and if you guys like that way the, the intro worked, that's something that we can try to do moving forward too. Although me having edited it was just, um, I'm bad at a lot of things. All right, with the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Chris, thanks for joining me. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys, I guess, after uh, after game day. Enjoy Monday. Bye.